Good day, and welcome to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, putting the P in professionally managed vacation rentals. This is the Vacation Rental Management Professionals Podcast, coming to you from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and from the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. I'm Sarah Bradford from Winter Park and Steamboat Springs. And I'm Tim Cafferty from the Outer Banks of North Carolina and Sandbridge, Virginia. Together, we bring you the first podcast focused solely on professionally managed vacation rentals across the nation, or as we like to call it, Sea to Ski with Sarah and T. In the next 30 minutes, we hope you'll join us on our journey as we dive into issues affecting folks like us, the professional vacation rental manager, allowing you to run your business more effectively, make more money, And most importantly, have fun doing it. We are back and better than ever. Sarah, summer has arrived and I am excited. How are you today? Hey, Tim. Great to hear from you. A lot of summer on the way for you, so I'm sure you are busy. Indeed, we're geared up here and we are ready to go. And we are continuing today in our recent tradition of having a third person on the podcast. So say hello to Miller Hawkins of Boo Realty in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Howdy from the south down here. It's been a pleasure being here and thank you all for having me. Miller is not only the proprietor at Boo Realty in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, he is also a member of the VRMA Board of Directors, which we'll get into and has a lot of good stuff going. But before we get going, just give us the rundown on Boo Realty and Miller Hawkins, if you would, sir. Well, first of all, let me say I wanted to thank you two. I know you two have close ties to Verma, and I'm also, as you just said, a board of director. And you all know the importance of what Verma does, but I really wanted to say with this industry that's ever-changing and the importance that professionalism and education is becoming more and more critical, your podcast, The Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, are not only very educational but very entertaining. But thank you all for what you're doing. Boo Realty was founded in 1971 by Maggie and Bob Boo. I purchased the company from Maggie Boo back in 1995 and have been running it for the past 23 years. We have 135 vacation rentals, 275 annual rentals, and a a great uh, residential sales staff. So we've been here at the beach, same location, for about 47 years now and having a great time. Kept the same name, same office, and everything's doing great down here. I got to meet Miller when he was applying to be on the VRMA board, and what a fun guy. But I have to say, when I heard your company name, I thought, what? Boo? What a funny kind of name that must get a lot of attention. It does, and we've been asked many times, why don't I change the name to something with vacations in it? And I've surveyed a lot of people, and again, we've been here in the same location, same office for 47 years, and I'm going to stick with what's good. They say if it's not broke, uh, don't fix it. And it's very unique, and you can't forget that name, Boo Realty. So, it's not like Boo Radley, but it's spelled differently. Exactly. And then we get, we get called Boo Reality and, and everything else. Everything's going good. And, Miller, I also awesome. saw on your website, you refer to your group as the Boo Crew. Talk to me about the culture there, the people you have working for you, and what makes you guys special. I think the biggest part of this company is my staff. Whether I'm here in the office or at a Verma board of directors meeting or a vacation or whatever, the Boo Crew, I named them the Boo Crew probably two months after I got here. We are a family here from the housekeeping and maintenance all the way up to the reservation to the sales. We're a family here. And I took it as the Boo Crew and all my t-shirts around here that my cleaning and housekeeping staff wear 
it has boot crew on the back. We occasionally will sell some out of the front, but it's a, a we're a crew. We're a family around here. Well, that that family might not know that uh, about a year ago, you have something to share with us we're going to cover today. Because I asked Miller, hey, what's one dilemma that you have solved over the last year that you would want to talk about that you're feeling good about? So, Miller, what is it? Well, when I was approached about the topic of talking on this podcast and I was given certain ideas, the first one about a, has a recent dilemma come up and, and how did you solve it and what are you doing about it? And I was approached to sell my company, actually part of my company, and I took that and ran with it and went into some of the details of selling the company and actually going down the road quite a bit. No one knew about it except for my wife who also works here. You know, I asked myself, do I want to sell and why? Am I selling the business because I'm fearful of these big boys coming in and taking over our market? Is my company ready to sell? And I, I looked at, because I have a weekly and an annual and a sales division here, and I was going to have to break this company up. You know, the old adage, the whole of my company was worth more than the sum of its parts. And I realized that. But the mo most important thing I realized was what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my staff? And also, what's going to happen to my owners? How are they going to be taken care of? And I sat there and had a heart to heart, prayed about it, talked to my wife, and I decided I pulled the plug. And I think when my staff and other people listen to this podcast, they're I guess the, uh, the door's open now. They know that I was thinking about selling part of this business and uh, decided not to. And I think I, I know I made an excellent decision staying here and keeping my company as a whole and keeping my staff as a whole and keeping my homeowners happy, which they all are. Uh, there's a lot to that that we want to dive into. But I, I think I'd like to start with how it made your company stronger, Miller, by taking that look about what the strengths were of your company that somebody might want to have, and then you looking at it and deciding ultimately, no, I'm not selling. But you didn't tell me this, but I'm just thinking to myself, I'll bet the process made you a better manager and a better company. It did, because when I looked at my company back then, my financials operation side was one. I put everything into one bucket, my, my sales commission, my annual commission, my weekly commission. And, and looking at this and having to break it out, now, I had to split up my company on my financial statement, which I now have been doing for a year. And it's opened some eyes of how my annual division's doing, how my weekly division's doing, and sales division's doing. So it made me look at this company, not as from the outside in, but I dove right in the middle of it and split everything up into thirds. And I've come out better. I've, I've also learned the that there's a strong dependency from one department to the next to the next. They all feed off each other. And if I cut off one of those three arms, these other two are going to be out here and not really being able to, we weren't going to be as strong. So I've come out a lot stronger knowing that my company is solid from all three aspects. Miller, now that you made that decision and feeling good about moving forward with all three parts of your company, the other, I guess you call them the big boys, I call them the mega managers, have they purchased another company in the area, and how has that affected you? They have. I'm sure everybody knows that there have been tens to hundreds of millions of dollars put into these big boys, mega managers, if you call them. And yes, they have they've infiltrated Myrtle Beach. And I took it at first for a split second of, wow, they're here. And I've taken that and absolutely run with it. I have increased my marketing efforts all up and down the beach to all these complexes. And I'm concentrating on, we have boots on the ground here. We have a check-in office here. We're local. 
We can check those people when they check in. If they're underage, they're putting 16 people into a two-bedroom condo. We have local knowledge here. If an owner wants to come and talk to us, has a problem or a compliment or suggestion, I've got a conference table five feet from my desk here that we can sit down and talk. The biggest thing is is the if there's a hurricane coming, God forbid, there's one brewing in the in the Gulf right now. And if we have to go out and owners call and they want their property secured, we're right here to do that. We're not operating this business from other parts of the country, whether it be south or west or north. We're operating it from here. And it, it was a no-brainer. And my business has grown considerably since some of these big boys have come to town because some of what my marketing efforts going after them, but I've been approached by dozens and dozens of homeowners that don't like their plan, and they're coming to me, and it's a no-brainer. so fascinating to hear, Miller, because I think the value proposition that at least I have seen is that these companies will bring the, the owner more money. They'll bring them a better bottom line, and that's great until you have a problem. And yes, until you have a problem, and can they bring you more money? Because you can always promise them more money, and if you don't deliver on that promise, that's one thing. But yeah, like you just said, if they've got a problem, I'm here. And many of my homeowners have my cell phone number, which sits on my bedside table every night. If they've got a problem, they can call me. and I'm the owner of the company. You can't get any higher. So Miller, talk about specifics, what you did when one of these big boys bought another company. Tell us about some strategies you took proactively. When I heard they came... Uh, into town and I heard they came into town solely my phone started lighting up from these homeowners wanting to look at the alternatives so that's how I found out they were in town so I immediately amped up my marketing efforts not only to specific areas but all up and down the beach by sending out my marketing card giving them about eight or nine bullet points of why they should stay local and offering a vacation rental package to be sent with them And again, I have sent out dozens and dozens of these, and I've picked up quite a few units. Uh, This has actually been my largest year of owner acquisition since I've been here for 23 years now. That's fantastic. Sorry to jump around here, but I can't get off this thought about being approached to sell your business. Because as a vacation rental owner, it seems like, as a matter of fact, I tracked it over a period of a month. I got 11 calls from various companies who are interested in purchasing one of my companies. Sarah and I have actually joked about it. Just if anybody wants to know, mine is for sale for $10 million, which is a relative <laughs> bargain compared to Sarah, who is $20 million for her. So <laughs> bring all offers, uh, 10 and $20 million is a good starting point. We, we'll take more, though, by the way. Back to this whole thing about going through the process. I, in some way, think that you have almost an obligation to go through the process to find out what it's about, to find out what their angle is, so to speak, and then what the value of your company is. So if you talk over a minute about that whole thing, about actually the whole decision about at least listening. And I, that's a great question. And I, when I took the phone call, I actually walked out the back of my office and got in my car and drove down to the end of the parking lot just so no one would listen to me or hear me and, and talking to them. And they pretty much started off with wanting all my financials and a list of homeowners and a list of upcoming reservations and past financial statements and tax returns. I literally, I opened my books, I opened my doors. And in doing so, I was, it was an eye opening of what exactly I was giving to them. I look at my financial statements every month and so on, but I was, as I said, I was looking at it as a whole, but it going into it, I think it's a great idea whether or not you want to contact one of these people and sell your business, but maybe actually look at your business as if 
you're wanting to sell it and someone's standing across your desk wanting to sell. If you have to, if you provide all these things and you look at your profit, the word on the street out there is they're going to give you somewhere with three, four, five times, you know, multiple of your, of your earnings. So there's an eye opening right there of how much money you could possibly get. You've got goodwill in there and, and so on, but they don't necessarily pay on the goodwill. And, you know, also you have to have owner retention. If you don't retain your owners after the sale, there are some caveats in there that the, there's some uh, obstacles that they, there are deductions for owner loss. That is such a great takeaway right there, Miller, that we should always be doing our books, pretending someone's sitting on the other side of the table, looking at them from of the point of buying the company. Are you comfortable with your books? Are you on the up and up? Do you understand your numbers and do they look good, right? Are they, are you showing a profit and a good profit? So it's great. As Tim said, he can't get off the idea of, of this topic of considering selling and what it makes you think about with your company. This messaging around staying local versus their messaging of go with the big guys, go with the national company that somehow understands pricing more than the local companies. You said you had a postcard with eight bullet points. Can you just share a few of those bullet points with us? Like really what are you saying to these homeowners about why they should stay local versus go big? Great question. I mentioned in this bullet points with the boots on the ground. We've been serving Myrtle Beach for 47 years. We have a qualified, friendly, professional staff. Timely direct deposit of your owner payments, which is obviously crucial. Online statements, hurricane disaster plans, local knowledge of the areas. If you want to meet the owner of the business, we're here, and so on. So I really concentrated all these bullet points on we're a business that's located probably within 10 miles or less of your property, and we can go there at any time of the day or in the middle of the night, which, which, is, which has happened, to take care of a problem in your property. So I think the stress of this is we're local, we're, we have boots on the ground here, and we have used that and teed off on it. I love those points. I think we need to get those out to more markets than just Myrtle Beach and Winter Park and Steamboat and Outer Banks like we are. So thank you for sharing those. The other thing I think, though, is that you had some things on there about your professionalism because these companies are coming in saying all these things we do already, but we haven't been talking about it. And if we don't include those on stay local bullet points, it's going to look like we don't do that. For example, fancy pricing strategies and all their marketing talk and how they inspect properties. It's like they just thought of that. And we need to make sure we're saying, yeah, we do all that. And we're here with boots on the ground. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And yeah, the professionalism, we've been here longer than they have. They're in Myrtle Beach now. I know they're in the Outer Banks. I know they're up in the mountains of, of Maryland. I know they're up in the Boston area. They're going everywhere that they can, but we were here first. We've been here. We're the one that started this company. We're the one that gathered these homeowners and sat at our conference table with them and met them at their properties and talked to them and got them on board face-to-face -face, looking at Tim and looking at Sarah, smiling, and that's why they came on board. So when you're selling, you're hoping that these same people that you've been, that trusted you over the past 30 or 40 years, you're hoping that they are going to be comfortable with talking to someone on the phone that's nowhere near your area, and you hope they're going to trust them with your property. And in a lot of cases, that's not going to happen. So, and that's the case, thus being the growth that I'm experiencing now. 
All right, so Miller, you've been through this process. You've decided what you've decided. I'm interested now after the fact. Are there things you would like to pass on to somebody that if you were to do this again, things that you would do differently or things they should be thinking about? I've thought long and hard about that, and I've thought about it for the past 23 years. If I had a chance to do this all over again, and if I was talking to someone who was thinking about getting in the business, seven takeaways that I've always looked at and generated over the years. One, you have to, and this is not really an area of importance, listen, you need to have thick skin in this business because you're going to get all kinds of comments and compliments, criticism, complaints, whether it's online or face-to-face. You need to be organized, and that means right down to the financials and your record-keeping and your escrow compliance. You need to be honest and ethical with your homeowners as well as your guests. You need to be flexible yet firm. Stand up for what's right. Bend a little bit, but be firm. What I realized early on, and I didn't know this until I got in, you have to have a substantial amount of working capital to get you through the off-seasons, like down here in Myrtle Beach from October to March. More importantly, you have to have a great staff, and that is what I've been leaning on my boo crew for 23 years now. I don't think there's a better staff out there than what I've got right here. So those are the points I would tell someone if they're getting ready to start a business, what you need to take away. Anything you do differently in this process? Yeah, I wish, going back, I wish I would have become more aware of saving money during the peak season for <laughs> for the off season. The first few years around here were quite rough that I didn't know what I was the well was going to run dry. And I think more importantly, if you're in an area and it doesn't matter whether you're in Colorado or the Outer Banks or Myrtle Beach or Florida, there's natural disasters everywhere. And I have knock on wood, uh, we've not had a direct hit here, you know, like an Andrew or Katrina. But if something should come through here and wipe out your inventory, you've got to have a substantial amount of reserves to withstand a very long six or seven months of rebuilding and so on. So when I got three hurricanes that hit here the first year that I was here, I wish I would have prepared more for what an impact of a natural disaster uh, would be. That needs to be in the front of your mind. There is no insurance to cover. You have no properties to rent. So you have to have a substantial reserves. Well, Miller, I think that is something we haven't really talked about on here before, Tim, and keeping you up at night, thinking about the money. If you get into this because the getting's good right now, the economy's great, you better have a fund waiting when it doesn't go well because you got to be in this for the long haul. There are times, and I have lived through them, where I did stay up at night thinking, gosh, am I going to be able to pay the staff, especially when you're growing, right, Miller, when you're just getting started. That is something all listeners need to take heed of and really figure out, do you have some coffers you can dip into when the money gets tight? Even more importantly than that, you've got a staff. I've got a staff here that they're dependent on me for their livelihood. And if I don't have that reserve to get me through these tough times or the natural disaster or, or such, you've got people dependent on you. You take care of them, they take care of you. So let's get away from that depressing topic and do the (laughs) rapid fire. What do you think, Tim? I think it is time for rapid fire. So this is our game of inane questions we ask Miller. He can answer in a couple of words or as long as he wishes. And so time to start the clock. Miller, who is in charge of your petroleum engineering department, and how does that help your staff? That would be me. I pumped <laughs> gas earlier this morning. I'm in charge of petroleum engineering staff. 
because you have a degree in petroleum engineering. From Texas Tech University, yes, sir. I'm proud to say that the price of oil was $8 a barrel when I graduated. I didn't know where that one was going. Okay, mine is a little simpler, and that is, do you use Kleenex brand tissues or generic? Uh, whatever's cheapest. No, I'm kidding. I use, I let my housekeeping staff buy that. I have a mini Walmart here in my office, and I believe the last time I checked, there was Kleenex in there, not an off-brand. Great. Are you a morning person or a night owl? All day long. I don't sleep. Uh, matter of fact, I woke up at 1.30 this morning and jotted some notes down for this podcast today. <laughs> Boy, you ever prepared. <laughs> Miller, do you let your staffs see your budget versus actuals every month, or do you keep that private? Private. Hmm. What is your favorite movie? Favorite movie was probably, uh, and this is going to sound funny, Deliverance. Loved, loved the movie. I love the song Dueling Banjos. I still have nightmares about that movie. Okay. Miller, <laughs> what is your percent of online bookings versus phone-in bookings? Online bookings is probably 40% to phone-in 60% because the biggest form of business is repeat business here. Okay. What chore do you hate doing? Well, I'd like to say yard work, but my wife has a landscape horticulture degree, and she is the boss. So I'm out there in the yard work. So I would say, I would say yard work. That answer feeds right into my next question. Miller, what's the secret to successfully working with your spouse? I just celebrated 29 years of marriage wow. last Saturday. Congrats. Um, and I see my wife seven days a week. I think the biggest form, not only of uh, marriage, but also with working with her, one word, and that's communication. Amen, brother. Okay. Go ahead. I got a few more. What's your favorite TV channel? Food Network. <laughs> Easily. All right, Miller. Tim really loves this question. For emails, do you check them as they come in or only two times a day? My phone is sitting here in my hand right now, and I carry <laughs> my phone around with me all the time. I constantly reply to texts and emails 24 hours a day. I don't do it one time. I do it all day long as they come in. That's my guy. Okay. What, if any, is your favorite part of a triathlon? Swimming. I was a swimmer all my life, and I've completed seven sprint triathlons. My goal, uh, ultimate goal, would be an international triathlon, sprint triathlon. Swimming's my favorite. Tim clearly did some research on our, our guest. Okay, my question is, what is the number one reason that comes to mind that you should go to Myrtle Beach over North Myrtle Beach? whole lot more to do down here, Myrtle Beach, than North Myrtle Beach. We have three highways, Kings Highway, the Bypass, and Highway 31 out there. Things kind of go down into a funnel up in North Myrtle Beach, and there's not as many activities and attractions up there than there is down here. Like, come on, what's the number one activity? What's the most fun reason to go to Myrtle Beach? Well, it used to be the pavilion until they tore that down, but now Broadway at the Beach out there has got a mini pavilion Tons of shops, tons of restaurants, nightclubs, pretty much from 9 o'clock in the morning until 2 o'clock in the morning. There's things to do. There's Broadway at the beach, Myrtle Waves across the street. There's Broadway Grand Prix across the street. There's tons to do in here, but I'd say Broadway at the beach is probably our biggest attraction. And he hasn't used okay. the word golf yet. Yeah, there's a, there used to be 115 golf courses here at the, at the height, and now there's uh, well less than 100. Okay, I think it's me. This is my last one. You already alluded to Texas Tech. What in the heck is a Red Raider? 
a masquerader. Get your guns up. He is. Uh, he looks like Yosemite Sam if you look at the mascot, but he's yeah. the he's the masquerader. And our uh, live mascot out there is the woman actually dry, rides on top of the black horse. Forgot the horse's name, but a uh, masquerader is actually uh, looks like I said looks like Yosemite Sam. And Miller, my last question is: What is your number one prediction for our industry over the next five years? I think the vacation rental industry is growing dramatically. Now, obviously, we had our downturn from 2005 or six to 2012, but we are now on the gradual upswing percentage growth that we experienced proportionally from 95 to 2000, and this business is continuing to get bigger and bigger with players, you know, such as HomeAway, VRBO, Airbnb. Speedy and everybody that's coming in, they're making it global, and I don't see any any stop at all. What question did we not ask you that we should have? What's on my bucket list? <laughs> okay, what is it? Well, I thought about that, and I was like, you know, first I'm going to say I'd like to catch a world record fish. Then, with my love of astronomy, I'd love to go to outer space one day, but probably since neither one of those are obtainable, I'm going to win the lottery one day. All right, good to know. Oh, yeah, because the lottery is really attainable. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to win it, and I'm going to be a major sponsor of Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, and we're all taking right. this to Hollywood. All yeah, right, baby. That's all <laughs> like. Go get those numbers today. I need some FaceTime. I need to get on TV. All right, go ahead, Tim. <laughs> yeah, our, uh, our ratings would skyrocket, clearly. Okay, so as usual, you win nothing but our appreciation for playing our name game. And so... Sarah, now it's time for Not Solid Hot Off Press, but definitely happening. And I haven't told anybody what we're going to be covering today. This will be a surprise to our guest and Tim. But I think our Not So Hot Off the Press today, but definitely happening, should be that I got a hold of some big boys marketing. We'll call it, in Miller's term, the big boys marketing. And I found a quote in their marketing materials I wanted to read and get your take on it, because Miller involves big boy topic and third party topic, OTA topic. So they're colliding here. And the quote in the marketing says, you can't run a successful vacation rental business without a presence on HomeAway and the VRBO network. Our relationship with these sites runs deeper than any other management company. In fact, we're their biggest customer. We also list properties on other popular sites such as TripAdvisor, FlipKey, and Airbnb. This means your home is put in front of the audience most likely to book all covered under our flat, comprehensive management fee. Thoughts? <laughs> uh, laughter. There is, if you're dependent, and some people are highly dependent upon the OTAs, but those OTAs would not be OTAs without the Tims and Sarahs and Millers on the ground with the properties. So to say that, that you need them and without them you would be, it's completely 100%, in my opinion, in this market, my company is 100% not true. Good stuff. That's an interesting strategy. Tim, what are your thoughts? I think it's an interesting strategy that's been proven wrong countless times. So there you go. And on that note, Miller had a really neat idea around turning some third-party site listings off and doing something to fill the hole. What was that, Miller? Book, direct, and save. We have started a huge marketing campaign around here. These are our guests. They've stayed with us for the past decades. And although it's nice to have a, an OTA guest come in uh, and in some cases pay more, we educate that guest to book direct with us from here going forward, take advantage of our specials. So as you'll see on our website here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have that price guarantee 
low price guarantee badge of book direct and save. So we have started yet. Thanks to them. We've now started another campaign to save uh, us money as well. Save the guest money uh, with the book direct and save campaign. There's a lot of book direct campaigns out there with vacation rental managers as well as hotels. So the, the book direct and save campaign that we, that we offered uh, goes after the past guest. And when you, when you Google a particular project that you have, a particular complex that you have, a resort that you have, if you look at that and take those properties off the OTAs and use a portion of that money on a pay-per-click campaign and target that particular complex, you will be amazed with the results when, with your organic, your, your organic will increase uh, search as well as you'll be listed above the OTAs on that particular project, on that particular complex. All right, that's the voice of Miller Hawkins, the owner and operator of Boo Realty in Murder Beach, South Carolina. I've always found him to be a thought-provoking, straightforward guy, and I think that's exactly what we got out of this podcast today, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much, Miller. I know you're busy with the summer season upon you, so we really appreciate you spending time with us. And I also very much want to say thank you for serving on the VRMA board and giving your time to that. Well, you're welcome, and thank you all for uh, having me today. It's been a pleasure discussing my business, as I always like to do. And uh, thank you very much for what you all are doing with this podcast. It's very, very forthcoming, and, and I'm looking forward to the ones in the future. Very good. That is the, uh, I think, first alumni of Texas Tech University we've had on the podcast, a proud Red Raider at Blue Realty and he uh, not only is on the Grand Strand, but he's a grand man. So uh, we appreciate that. And, Sarah, hope you have a great day. Okay, bye, guys. I'm about to go put my boat in the lake right now. Ooh. Have fun. All right. So long, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sea to Ski with Sarah and T, professional vacation rental managers podcast. Brought to you by Sarah Bradford of Winter Park Lodging Company and Steamboat Lodging Company, as well as Tim Cafferty of Outer Banks Blue and Sandbridge Blue Realty Services. Together, Sarah and Tim manage more than 600 privately owned vacation rental properties, and both are regarded as experts in the vacation rental management industry. Music provided by Ben Sound. We encourage your participation on this podcast by sharing it with friends, and please feel free to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Comments or reviews on this particular podcast can be made on their website. See to ski with SarahNT.com, where you can also subscribe to the podcast as well as provide them feedback on this episode or give them ideas for future topics. We look forward to speaking with you next time on See to Ski with Sarah and T.